fire broke out in the six-story apartment building in Manhattan. This is about 4.30 in the morning on a September morning in 2020. New York City firefighters arrived within moments, but already flames were shooting out of the windows and screams could be heard from the upper floors. Firefighters Abe Miller and Horai Sosa arrived at the side of the building. They, they heard the screams, and then they saw two little hands in a fifth-floor fifth window. There's a five-year-old girl and her grandmother trapped inside. That grandmother was holding that little girl up so she could breathe and that hopefully someone would see her hands. Miller and Sosa immediately ran into that burning building, pushed their way up the stairs, arrived on the roof, and began a daring rescue attempt from the roof with ropes. Now, they practice this every Monday, but this is for real. Lives hung in the balance. Sosa already had the life-saving rope out. He had attached it to, uh, to Miller's uh, uh, gear, uh, but, but there was nothing on the roof for him to, to, to tie the other end to, so he wrapped it around himself, and he laid down, and he braced as best he could. You see, let Miller over the side of that building down to the fifth floor where Miller pushed into the window, grabbed the little girl, told the grandmother that someone would be there soon, came back out of that window, and then Sosa inched them down floor by floor to safety on the ground. Headlines later, later that day read New York Fire Department stages daring rescue attempt with ropes from the roof to save a girl from the blaze. There actually were 12 people saved that day because some men were willing to be on the roof to conduct a rescue using ropes. Similar to the passage we find today in Luke, the second chapter, which this was not planned, but by the sovereignty of God, that's our daily reading that we as a church do. It's also a passage of Scripture that our teenagers through D-Now have learned. Our teenagers know more about this passage than I do today because they've been studying and learning about it all, week long from, all weekend long from Jordan, our, our D-Now uh, leader, uh, the speaker. And, and we, really, you know, we really would have loved and wanted to have Jordan here today because we wanted the whole church to hear from him. Uh, but his schedule wouldn't permit. And I thought, you know, it would really be good if, if this pastor that I'm about to show you a clip of, if maybe he could be here because uh, he, he, he loves teenagers. And, and he, he, not only that, he's attuned to your culture, uh, to, to your language. I've got, I got five Gen Z teen, uh, grandchildren. I don't understand most of what they say. <laughs> but this guy does. I mean, he is so attuned to, to your language, your culture, that uh, a couple of months ago, he actually, at his church, read part of the Christmas story from the Gen Z translation of the Bible. You watch. Recently, I did hear about a new translation out called the Gen Z Bible, where someone had taken the scriptures and translated it into Gen Z language. Now, I'm going to read part of this. I do want to let you know I would never dishonor God's word. I have triple checked this to make sure this is exactly what Luke 1 communicates when the angel talks to Mary. Check this out. Mary was a pick-me girl for God and was simping for him in prayer when the angel Gabriel appeared to her and said, Ayo, you're a real one and the top G is feeling you. But she thought his compliment was sus and gave him the side eye. So he said, 
So he said, baby girl, chill. God sent me to tell you, you've passed his vibe check. And low key, he wants you to have the main character. You'd name him Jesus and they will all say, he's him. She said, how can this be since I promised him my body count will always be zero, respectfully. He said, this ain't about cuffing season for the Holy Spirit will live rent free in you and your boy Jesus will be a divine bro. Beside, your cousin Elizabeth is with child, she who is already older than a boomer and whose husband is way past beekeeping age. So Mary said, bet. Gabriel left her on red and she let the Holy Spirit cook. As a boomer past beekeeping age, I have no clue what he just said, but it was greatness. I would have loved if he or Jordan could have been here, but I, I'm all you got today. But we are going to read from a translation of Scripture that I think we all can learn from, and we're going to try to catch up with our teenagers. They are leading the way in understanding what this implies, the implications it has for our lives. And so we're going to try to learn along with them. And maybe even teenagers, there may be a different perspective from this passage uh, for you as well. In Mark, the second chapter, beginning in the first verse, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat, and the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your, sons are forgiven. your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the teachers of the law, looking down their snooty, hypocritical noses, were sitting there thinking to themselves, why, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who, who can forgive sins except God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately the man got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. And they praise God saying, we've never seen anything like this. Just like if we're going to build biblical community, we're talking about all year long. Just like those friends did for the paralytic, just like those firefighters did for that five-little-year-old girl and her grandmother, every one of us here, likewise, need to grab a rope. We grab a rope, first of all, because people hurt. Everyone hurts and everyone needs help, hope, and healing. You know, we as a congregation were blessed for over 25 years with the life and the leadership of Ron Richardson, a part of our pastoral team. I learned a lot from Ron over the years. I remember when he told me, no matter how good everybody looks on Sunday morning, and you look really good this morning, by the way, but no matter how good everybody looks on Sunday morning, he said everyone is carrying something. Everyone's got some burden, some load that they're bearing. Or, or Pastor, I heard a couple of weeks ago that I greatly respect. He said, we're not all dealing with the same thing, but we're all dealing with something. Ron's right. Everybody's carrying something. Now, now it, may be, it may be visible. It may not be. I mean, you may be coming out of your uh, crisis and, and recovering from that. 
and it's been a long, long journey. You, you may be in the midst of the chaos. Or you may look and, and it looks like that storm clouds are gathering on the horizon. But everybody's carrying something. Sometimes it's obvious and to everyone. Other times it's, it's kind of hidden from view. This man, both were the case. You really can't see when a person is in need of forgiveness, typically. It is the, a universal need for every person to have their sins forgiven by the redeeming work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. But, but you can't necessarily see that. But you can see his physical problems. His muscles were, were all knotted up that prevented freedom from movement. His legs were paralyzed so that he could not walk. And still today, some in this room and many you know are, are, are knotted up because of anxiety and guilt and shame. Paralyzed from the walk that God has in store for you, for them, because of doubts and fears and self-loathing. And, and they may look really good on the outside, but, but inside they're, they're drowning in despair and hoping that someone will extend to them a rope. It's interesting in this story, we don't know anything about the paralytic or his friend's backstories. But therein is a lesson for us. You and I don't need to know all of the factors that have contributed to the situation in which that person finds himself in which we can be of assistance. We, we, we don't need to know all the backstory. Though those firefighters didn't, didn't come to the point of, of trying to analyze the, the source of the fire before they ran in to save the girl. Sometimes it can be paralysis by analysis. And there's a, so much analyzation that we, we don't engage in mobilization. But these people, we, we, what we need to do, we may not know the backstory. That their, their problems, their hurt, their need may be self-imposed. It may have been caused by someone else. It, we don't know. And you know, we don't, we don't need to know. What we need to do is grab a rope. Because like that paralytic on the mat and that little girl in the burning building, everyone hurts. And everyone needs help, hope, and healing. So grab a rope. We rubber over also, even though doing so will likely cost you. I mean, you think about it, somebody's going to have to pay to have the roof fixed. Now, it's not stated specifically, but scholars believe this was Peter's house. Uh, Peter and his family lived there in Capernaum. Uh, it was the, the base of, of operations for Jesus in the Galilean ministry. And, and even you read in the chapter prior to in Mark, the first chapter, in verse 16, uh, we find Peter beginning to, to follow Jesus. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, who would later be named Peter, and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. If you're following along, along in verse 21, they went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. Jump down to verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon Peter and Andrew. Peter's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all of the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. You see, Peter's house was a place where people met Jesus, similar to some of your homes. Some of you are very intentional in inviting 
family, friends, neighbors, and over coffee or over a meal, having gospel conversations in your home. Some of you have Bible studies in your home. For some of you, these teenagers know that your, your home is a safe haven for them. And so, so, so like Peter, your home may be a, a, a place of, of ministry operations. Well, what we find is if, if in fact this was Peter's house, and I really think it was, then at least, at least three miracles took place that day. Number one, this man's sins were forgiven. Number two, his paralysis was healed. And the third miracle that occurred that day in Peter's house is that Peter was silent. <laughs> there is no indication that Peter was ranting and raving about them ripping up his roof. Peter was silent. I don't know that it ever happened before. Peter was never silent. Peter was the Travis Kelsey of his day. <laughs> Bold, boisterous, and loud. But if in fact he was quiet as he, he watched this unfold, I think it gives indication of Peter's concern for people and confidence in Jesus. And I just got to tell you, church, I'm not sure I would respond in the same way. If they're installing a skylight in my house that I have not ordered, and I'm going, are you out of your mind? What are you, what are you doing? You're ripping up my roof. Look at the mess you made in my house. Wow, what are you? And then someone looks through the, through the hole and says, well, Jeff, we got a friend that needs, needs healing. And I'm going, you know what? There's Karen now down the street. Would you take him there? <laughs> Jeff, we, we just want to get him close to Jesus, but we, I mean, there's just not room. I tell you what, I'll talk to Jesus about another service sometime next week. Come back then. And oftentimes we push people and their needs away, wanting somebody else to take care of the need. Sometimes we, beginning with me, we get so attached to our roofs, our stuff, my stuff, that we detach ourselves from people and their hurts and their needs. You know, my stuff, your stuff, it ain't our stuff. I'm continuing to remind of 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Jeff, what do you have that you have not received? And the answer is nothing. It all comes from a gracious God. In fact, James 1, 17 tells us every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. Even the, the, the roof above my head is a gift from God above. And I need to have more of the attitude of Peter concerned about people's needs and confident of what Jesus is going to do. It comes down to a point of, of God me recognizing God's stewardship and my steward, God's ownership and my stewardship, of my gratitude for his gifts, of, of my priorities aligning with his will. And Peter seemed to have done that perfectly, aligning his will with, with the work and the word of Jesus. It was in so doing... Peter, uncharacteristically so, maybe for the first time in his life, was quiet as he watched Jesus perform this miracle. Now, on a practical side, I think somebody may have nudged him in the ribs and said, hey, Pete, what, what about the roof? And Peter's response may very well have been, you know, I followed him long enough. I've watched him long enough. And I'm pretty sure if Jesus could heal this old boy, he can take care of my roof. He is a carpenter after all. 
You see, Jesus is the solution for every situation. But the fact is, helping hurting people is rarely inconvenient. I'm going to tell you, you're going to have opportunity this week, and it will probably come at the most inopportune time. It's costly. And, and ministry, like, like, like that roof, that house, it, it was messy. But as we build biblical community, it's absolutely critical that we be willing to get our hands dirty, that we pay the price, that we're willing to, to grab a rope, even though it may cost us. So grab a rope. Grab a rope thirdly, because the load is heavy, and none of us can do it on our own. You see, on behalf of this paralytic, he had help from four and more. Because we look closely at verse 3, it says, Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. See, there, there was a larger number than the four. Some men, a large contingency of men. Uh, maybe, maybe there was a dozen. And these four picked him up, and they carried him part of the way, and another four picked it up, and then these four, they're the ones that finally got him there and up on the roof. But there was a whole contingency of men concerned about this man. No one or two could do it. But the same is true for us as a church. As great, you hear me, as great as our pastors are and the staff is, everyone in this room have been called to grab a rope and to do what these men did. The Scripture says that they were bringing him to Jesus. That, that, that's the same word used later in Scripture to refer to Simon of Cyrene when he carried the cross of Jesus. We sometimes talk about bearing a cross. And, and, the, and the load is heavy. And the burden is very real. Now, most of the time that we talk about it, we're whining and, and, and griping about it. And instead of doing that, what we need to do is just, we need to grab a rope and carry a cross. Because we remember what Jesus has done for us on Calvary's cross. And that was much more grueling and much weightier than anything we'll ever do. We do what he has done out of praise and adoration, deep gratitude to our God. We do that to be like Jesus. For Romans 8, 29 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed according to the image of his Son. In fact, you and I have been divinely designed in order to be like Jesus. And that sounds kind of simplistic, but that's exactly why we're here. And we've been given a biblical challenge to do as these men did. For when it said that they carried him, that's the same word used in Galatians 6, 2, when we are admonished biblically to carry each other's burdens. The word literally means to, to, to pick up from the ground. They, they literally did that. But the word is also used in another place, and it gives us also additional insight over in Acts 20, uh, it, it's Sunday, they're having church, it's Sunday night, and, and Paul's preaching. We found on the first day of the week, on Sunday, we came together to break bread, and Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept talking, he kept preaching until midnight. Now, I had a 9.30 service, I had service down at the trails, I had to get back here. I don't got to go nowhere, Okay. We don't know how long we're going to be here today. No, just hang on, hang on, hang on. Paul just kept on talking, preaching until midnight. And there were many lamps in the upstairs. And, and it was kind of hazy. And, 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 it, and everybody kind of got drowsy. And seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. That, that's what the Scripture said. Paul just talked on and on. 
and on and on and on like some of my sermons. And when Eutychus was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. We have biblical example, preaching can kill you. Long sermons can do you in. Hence, I hasten on. So Paul went down, threw himself in the young man, put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed. He said, he's alive. All's well. Miracles happen. And then Paul went back upstairs, again broke bread and ate. And after talking until daylight, he left. Paul had been preaching for hours until midnight. The old boy dies. Every, raise him to the dead. Everything's fine. And Paul comes back and preaches another six or seven hours until dawn. Now they did post a sign, a no, no sitting sign on the, on the uh, windowsill for the rest of the night. But all ends well. But here's the point. That man was dead. And, and, and the word is used, he was picked up. New life. I'm going to tell you the Holy Spirit there is life-transforming power when the Holy Spirit works through His people when we're willing to grab a rope and lift people up. The passage this story finishes there in Troas when it says, The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Okay, now hear this part. A rope has two ends. We're talking this morning primarily about our responsibility to hold on to that and, and help pick people up. But there are times, there are times in all of our lives when we're on the other end of that rope. The same pastor who said a couple of weeks ago, you know, we're not all dealing with the same thing, but we're all dealing with something, also said, asking for help is not a sign of weakness. Asking for help is a sign of wisdom. There are times, folks, that we're that paralytic on the mat. There's times that we're that little five-year-old girl in a burning building and we need help. The confidence is within the church of God, within biblical community, that when we come to the end of our rope, praise God, there are people on the other end holding it strong. So whatever the need today, because remember Jesus is the solution to every, every circumstance. He is, the, he is the carpenter that can fix your house, fix your roof. He is the, he is the great physician who can heal your heart. He is the Savior that can save and redeem your soul. As you see, whatever your need, grab that rope because the load is heavy and none of us can do it alone. And finally, grab a rope and help, be, help people to Jesus with the results being raised, praised, and amazed. Now, now this, this goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. In biblical community, uh, Jesus is the focus of our attention and our adoration. He's the focus of everything. It's not the buildings. It's not the programming. It's not personalities. It's Jesus. Illustrated in this story, you, you recognize, let's say there are 100 people in Peter's house. Or back in the first chapter, it says the whole town had gathered there. Not one of them, not one of their names are mentioned. The, the, the hypocritical religious leaders, as important as they thought they were, their names are found nowhere. Nor are the friends. And even the paralytic who seems to be the very center of this story is not. We don't even know his name. There is only one name in these verses and in this story that is mentioned, and that is the name that is above every name. 
The name that was, is, and forever will be elevated above all other names. And our center of our attention and focus has always got to be upon Jesus. His adoration, our attention to what he's doing. When we do that, when our focus, the focus of, of people of faith is on Jesus and his miraculous power. I'm going to tell you, miracles happen. When we are people of faith, for it says in that fifth verse, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. And son, I tell you this, take up your, get up, take up your mat and go home. Now, we typically read that thinking that the faith, Jesus said when he saw their faith, well, that certainly included those, those four men, and I think the other contingency, but I'm convinced it also included the faith of the paralytic. They could have come to him that morning and said, hey, listen, we're going to take you down to Jesus, and he said, no, I'm good. I, I'm too far gone. There's nothing that he can do. In fact, I really don't believe this story, stuff that they, they say about him. That man's very presence was indicative of the fact that he recognized his need. He requested Jesus' aid, and he received what Jesus had to offer. Are you doing that today? It may be for the forgiveness of your sins. Would you trust him today? Whatever your need, whatever end of the rope that you need to hold on to, would you look to him? It's an act of faith. The scripture says that he got up. It's another form of that word to raise. That too is an illustration of faith. Because when Jesus said, get up, take your mat and walk home, he had to believe what Jesus said and then act upon it. When you read the word of God, whether it, it parallels and matches up to your, your, your feelings or your past experience, when you read the word of God, you believe what it says and act upon its commands, that's faith. And this man was raised up, and he'll raise you today. In fact, raised up, he could have adapted the old gospel song to become, become the, 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 the song of his soul. It says, raised by his power divine, raised to new life sublime. Life now is sweet and my joy is complete. I've been raised, raised, raised. He was raised, and people were amazed. For he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. We've never seen anything like this, they said. He was raised. They were amazed. And God received the praise. For the amazed, this amazed everyone, and they praised God. He received the glory. Scripture says that, that that man walked out in full view of everyone. You understand, the church is on display. That's part of God's intention. Sometimes we don't do it well. And oftentimes the outside world belittles and berates the church. But as in the case here, people will sit up, the world will sit up and take notice, not based upon the buildings that we occupy or the sermons we preach or the doctrine that we profess. But the world will take notice when lives are transformed through the power of Jesus Christ and God receives the glory. It's what Jesus had in mind when he spoke in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. When he said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds. Okay, I call those gospel deeds. We talked about gospel conversations all year long. We're continuing to do that. But gospel deeds are those deeds that we do that bring people closer to Jesus, that lives might be transformed, and God gets the glory. 
And so Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds, your gospel deeds, and give your Father in heaven praise. That's what we do. That, that's biblical community. It's what happens when hundreds of you, just a few weeks ago, from both campuses, all four services, gathered at the trails in order to prepare 30,000 meals for hungry people. It's what happens when boys and girls and parents in need are assisted and, and, and help is provided through Operation Back to School and, and, and not of hope, not of wonder. It's what happens when young mothers are cared and provided for through Embrace Grace. It's what happens when marriages are, are strengthened and, and, and some restored through, through re-engage. It's what happens when strongholds are torn down, where addictions are broken through re regen. It's, it's what happens when through your giving, the, the greatest missionary force the world has ever seen is unleashed. It's what happens when in your going, the good news of Jesus Christ is taken to the far ends of the earth. It's what happens when we grab a rope and we do good gospel deeds. So let me ask you a question. Like these men did for the paralytic, are people being brought closer to Jesus because of your presence in their lives? and the gospel deeds that you perform. I pray this morning. I pray that with the same resolve and determination of two firefighters that risking their own life rushed into a burning building and performed a daring rescue from the top of a roof by using ropes in order to save a five-year-old girl and her grandmother. I pray we too well, grab a rope. Grab a rope because everyone hurts and everyone is in need of hope, help, and healing. Grab a rope even though doing so is going to be costly. Grab a rope because the load is heavy and none of us can do it on our own. And then we grab a rope, lend a hand, bring a friend to Jesus with a result that many will be raised, people will be amazed, and God will receive all the praise. And that's biblical, powerful strategy for building biblical community. So let's go and do likewise. Let's go and be the church. Let's all grab a rope. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, forgive me, us, when we get so consumed with our roofs. We get attached to the stuff that's not ours to begin with and detached from people and their needs. Our roofs are not going to last forever, but every person that crosses our path will spend eternity somewhere. May we be engaged in gospel deeds that are helping people come closer to you. But Father, whichever end of the, of the rope we need to hold on to today to position ourselves to see you do miraculous things, I pray we'll do just that. So as your people respond in faith, as those in this story did, I pray you'll do your miraculous work. We pray in Jesus' name.